so I'm listening to uh, The Boogie Monster by Kyle Kinane and, and his comedian friend whose name escapes me right now. And so they're in the middle of talking about stuff. And uh, Kyle Kinane says, holy crap. He goes, can you hear that train whistle? And he said, the other guy's like, yeah. He goes, right when we're going to talk about aliens and the men in black, he goes, there's a train whistle. He goes, crap, they're already trying to disrupt what we're trying to do. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just feel... Uh, I just, I just feel like that's probably what's going to get caught is just random things. And so, yeah, we're not professionals, and we don't need to pretend like we are. Uh, so, how's the week been going? It's been going. Wait, are we recording? Yes. Oh, this is the thing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yes, sorry. Is, was, is, the, is it bad to call attention to it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think they know that they're listening to a podcast. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, no, things are good. It's been a, it's been a fun week, a busy week, but uh, you know, it's a nice, lovely evening that we're having so far tonight. Um, good. And yourself? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I feel like a horrible husband because my wife is home not feeling the greatest. She's not sick. She's just not feeling good. And so, oh. uh, and I completely forgot we had scheduled the podcast for tonight until you texted me earlier today. Wow. <laughs> and so. You were the one who said, let me check with my wife. And then said, yeah, Tuesday, 6.30 to 7, I'll be there. Yeah, it was fine. And then we both forgot about it. We, uh, noticed I texted you and said, <laughs> where are we doing this at? My place or yours? So... Shoes on the other foot, eh? Yeah. I don't know anything about shoes, but I guess the blame's over here. I don't know. Anyways. Words are hard. Yeah, words are hard. Uh, That's the reason why we're doing a podcast and not writing. Uh, Oh my gosh, can you imagine me trying... I write like I did in the third grade, still. Yeah, but still, that was better than most people at Cedar Ridge with their senior year, so... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) To all of our Cedar Ridge listeners, we don't care. Yeah. Let's face it, you can't read. (laughs) And not do math. Uh, anyways, and with that, and with that insult, welcome to the Nerd Room of God podcast. Nerd Room nerd- of God. Applause <laughs> in the back. Where we talk about uh, nerdy stuff and how nerd culture accepts everybody, and also how Jesus shows love to everyone. And so we're off to a great start by insulting people and their reading abilities. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> if <laughs> nothing, if not encouragement. If you have followed this podcast, it has uh, sparsely been put on uh, over a random schedule over like the last year, which only two weeks of only two podcasts have come. If you followed us for that, thank you for still yeah, listening. Thanks for trying to listen to the third one. But uh, take heart because we are much more disciplined than we were last year, and uh, we'll probably, most likely, do more of these. So there will be more to come in more of a routine fashion. Yeah, and there'll be at least two more because we're recording two tonight. So I oh, don't give that it. away. Oh my gosh, we okay. could have pretended like the other one was a month from now. Right. But we're not that good, and so that didn't happen. Um, just know that the format will be a little bit different. We decided that we're just going to shoot shoot the stuff tonight. Um, it's G-rated podcast. Uh, yeah, it's a G-rated <laughs> podcast. This is appearing right now on Disney Channel. It's the Disney Channel edited version. Speaking of Disney Channel, did you know that Disney helped uh, fund uh, help fund Pulp Fiction? Uh, what? Yeah. It's like the opposite of Disney. No, they didn't ever hear the name of it, but that Disney owned Miramax, and Miramax helped put out Pulp Fiction. And so, in a way, the House of Mouse helped fund the F-bomb uh, bonanza and coke-induced rage-filled uh, <laughs> Tarantino nightmare that is Pulp Fiction. I never knew that. I was just talking about Pulp Fiction with a friend yesterday. They hadn't seen it, and it was just like... He was older. He was like 40 years old. So yeah. how, how did how did you not see it? I've seen it multiple times. I think that once you hit a certain point, you can't see it. Mm. I feel like like that's a very early 20s coming into your own. I feel like, at least it was for me, like Pulp Fiction and um, Pulp Fiction and some of like Scorsese's earlier stuff that I hadn't saw. And like even The Departed, it was like when I came into my own about movies. 
because like I saw dad, dad like classic films and stuff like that and I saw Star Wars and saw Spielberg stuff and everything else but seeing something that was a lot more gritty and not as everyone coming in because like Tarantino's a hard pill to swallow if you don't like him you don't like him like you can't make Damn. yourself like him and uh, I really feel like that is a very early, late teens early 20s type of experience that everyone needs to have with a film whether it be Pulp Fiction or Scorsese stuff it Usually it involves a lot of F-bombs, but a lot of deeper, like, philosophical message. Oh, for sure. And uh, I always... The thing I liked about Tarantino is uh, he, like, chapters his movies. So, uh, for me, it's sometimes hard to get overarching themes or really tell, like, like, like the cuts or what the movie's trying to tell you. No, he'll just tell you, okay, chapter three, this is the damsel in distress part. So you know exactly what to expect. And then it's easier to recall the movie because you're like, oh, there was a nice segue into that portion of the movie. I, I like that. Uh, did you know? Uh, did you watch Reservoir Dogs? Did yes. Uh, you, did you know that Mister? Um, oh crap! Well, who's the one that that tortures the dude? Cuts off the dude's ear with the straight razor and says, "Can you hear me now?" Oh. Or whatever. Uh, it's Mister. Um, it's either blonde or pink or brown or black or white or one of the colors. <laughs> Mister Brown, I'm Mister Beep. Uh, <laughs> but I can't remember which one it is. But did you know that him and Vincent Vega are brothers? Uh, John Travolta's character, or character in Pulp Fiction that Tarantino has come out and said that they are brothers, that that takes place in the same universe as War Dogs and Pulp Fiction I, does. No, did not. Um, and that led to the, the fan theory that all Tarantino's films are connected. Mr. Blonde. Vince Mr. Ve- Blonde. Vince Vega. Yeah. Vic Vega. Yeah, Vic Vega and then uh, Vincent is his. Interesting. Did not know that. Also, funny thing, if you watch Pulp Fiction, every time John Travolta goes to the bathroom, bad stuff happens. Um, sometimes to him yeah sometimes to him spoilers yeah spoilers if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction just like no shame on you if you wait unless you're out of that 20 something window then or or like you're like an early teen you don't need to be watching stuff like that anyways (laughs) until you get a little more maturity Uh, but yeah he uh, when he goes to the bathroom in the diner he comes out and uh, the place has been held up by Honey Bunny and um, whatever the other one was Um, and then when he goes to the bathroom, uh, when he goes to the bathroom, when he brings Uma Thurman's character home, she ODs on on cocaine. Cocaine. And then when he goes to the bathroom after he's supposed to be guarding um, Bruce Willis's apartment, Bruce Willis comes in and grabs the Uzi and shoots him when he comes out. Uh, <laughs> so he had a rough day. He did have a rough day. But who leaves their Uzi on the like kitchen table or the counter while he takes a dump in a stranger's house? Also, did you know that when? Uh, he comes out and says, "Man, he's talking about someone uh, key in his car." Actually, oh, yeah. Do you know that Bruce? That's Bruce Willis's character because that takes place after they run into Bruce Willis's uh, character when he's going to talk to, uh, um, oh, Ving Rhames' character. Oh, no. That yeah, that he Bruce Willis is the one who keyed uh, Vincent Vega's car uh, on his way out. Okay, that kind of is a bummer. And see, that's what's so hard about that movie though is to keep up with like. Uh, what in the world's happening? <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of not knowing what in the world's happening, I went and saw Suicide Squad, and that's how I felt the entire time. Uh, uh, you know, like, okay, yeah, so let's talk about Suicide Squad, because I don't even want to say that it, like, merits talking about, but I have frustrations that I need to vent, and this is a good medium to vent them. Here's my PowerPoint presentation on <laughs> my dis- Okay, no, I did not totally hate Suicide Squad. There were some like redeeming qualities and some things I liked about Suicide Squad. But what I kept coming back to on that movie is just it could not figure out what it wanted to be. 
like ultimately the movie like the whole whole time watching it for me was it, I just felt like they kept like passing the camera around at a party yeah. and you were like okay well, uh, oh, I just was starting to kind of be on board with what was happening here and okay no that's not important because we're doing this um, yeah. there's like 15 tone shifts in, in the movie I really liked what it had going on at the beginning because uh, let's be honest Enchantress at the beginning of the movie is, is creepy as all get out like they played up the creepiness factor, and I'm like, okay, this is this is gonna be like Guardians of the Galaxy, except if you didn't live in Happy Marvel Land and it was in gritty DC land. I'm like, I'm cool with that. And then the tone shifted, and it shifted like five other times. I totally agree. Yeah, uh, it was that movie. I think what frustrated me the most, and um, I said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. That movie had one of the best trailers. Like I think I even tweeted after watching that trailer. There should be Oscar nom- like Oscar category for trailers. Like if you make a baller trailer, you deserve credit because whoever made the trailer to the Suicide Squad made an epic trailer, an awesome trailer. Like everyone got excited about it because of the trailer because it looked not just like a fun movie, but it looked like an engaging, thrilling movie. So then when I watched the movie and I realized half what I saw in that trailer wasn't in the movie, and the movie tried so hard, and that was the problem. They tried so hard to be like fun and and watching interviews now with like the Jared Leto's and the Margot Robies and the 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 people involved with the movie realizing oh wow they cut out a whole lot of that oh and they really jacked with the movie like after after the movie was done after it was like filmed they went back and did stuff it, it just made me kind of like cry because it makes me wonder what could that movie have been yeah it's they shot away from being dark and uh that like we get on to other DC films for being too dark, but like dark humor is what that what that movie did. That's what the Suicide Squad, Squad all is all about. Like the line from Mel Gibson, he goes, well, "You gotta understand that we're the Patsies." Like that whole like very much doom is coming, and we're gonna you know raise a middle finger to it and, and drink a shot of whiskey while it's happening. Like I like dark humor, and I wish that it happened. Uh, I wish they had stuck with that that mood and, and that tone. Because if it had been a dark humor to where a very macabre humor to where they're basically laughing about death, I'd have been cool with that. Um, that, but also what frustrated me with the movie was that over and over and over the movie tells you, like, we're bad guys. Hey, don't forget, we're the bad guys. It's what we do. We're bad guys. Okay, like, over and over and over the movie, I can think of three or four instances where, like, a character says that group is the bad guys. The, the problem is I, I never really felt threatened by the characters. Like, yeah. knowing a little bit about the comics and having watched a lot of the animated flicks, like, it really frustrated me to really not feel like Harley Quinn was really qu- crazy or dangerous. Yeah, she attacked some guards, sure. But, like, don't show me, like, Deadshot being a mercenary, not just killing one mob guy. With a stupid ricochet shot. With a stupid ricochet shot. Show me, like, him, like... Like Daredevil season t- what season two whenever like the Punisher just mows down all the uh, mob Irish dudes like just slaughters them spoilers um that was like an epic dark like holy cow this guy is serious like show me that about Deadshot like getting paid to just be ruthless so that then instead I feel like he's basically a good like good guy Deadshot with a kid and it like he was totally played like well, yeah sure he's a criminal sure we see meet him in prison. But at, at no point did I really feel like him, even Killer Croc. Like for one, they just gave a, they gave too much crappy backstory to Harley Quinn and Deadshot, and then they didn't give enough love to the Diablos or to the Killer Crocs. And sidebar, because now I'm ranting because I'm so frustrated by this movie. Katana. I don't know anything about Katana in the comics, but I know that 
she had a crappy intro to the movie like in the fact that she literally just as, up, she yeah. just shows up steps on the helicopter as it's taking off as if if she wouldn't have shown up it wouldn't have mattered unless they just perfectly timed her walking up to the helicopter but the problem is i would totally watch a katana movie like a thousand times like just knowing like for one, how'd she become so awesome with that sword? How did her husband get killed? What's up with the sword that, like, traps souls? Like, and she was, like, a really kind of compelling character that they gave me no reason to like her. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing. The reason why you didn't feel that they're criminals um, is, first of all, they don't do any criminal activity after they get out of jail. You know, yeah, uh, like, Captain Boomerang's over here drinking energy shots and acting like, you know, a complete cretin, but... Like, I don't... Then nothing was criminal about it. Like, literally nothing is criminal about it. And that's the issue. And, like, yeah, they should, they try to show the criminality of it while they're in prison, but they also showed that prison to literally be the crappiest prison that's, that is literally the Azkaban of, of American prisons. Mm. Like, I don't care if the guards die because they all apparently abuse the prisoners. Oh, yeah. And so, like, I don't really... You know, if you'd shown that prison to be an upright prison and they're just rude and, you know, riled up to be rude and riled up... Okay, kind of get behind it a little more if you, sh- or you showed them actually committing crimes like you said, that would have been great. But they showed them killing corrupt and abusing guards. That's what they showed. Yep. And then on top of that, think about the first action shot we really get with Deadshot after the prison. What does he do? He rescues basically and protects everyone by jumping up on the car heroically, killing every bad guy coming at them. And then he gets off and he just says something smart like to flag, but all in that vein of like. That's how I, you know, walk away, or that's how I run. Like, showing, like, no, if anything, I feel like this is a good guy. This is a hero. Um, the, the biggest, like, drama queen is Diablo, who just doesn't want to use his powers. Uh, but he, And the sad thing is he is the best character arc out of anything there. He, he really does. Like, I except, actually gave oh, a crap when he died. Like, that's the issue. I gave a crap, but also I kind of called bull crap on that. So, again, we need to go back and put a big spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast. But... Diablo turns into, like, some Mayan-looking devil guy and totally whoops the bad guy, the, the, the brother of the Enchantress. But then they still need a bomb to blow him up. Like, he's literally kicking the crap out. He melts through the dude's chest. And you're like, oh, okay, well, this is why even... And then next thing we know, Clint Eastwood's son dies underwater to make a bomb go off. For Diablo to what sacrifice himself? And yeah, and that's another thing about that whole that whole really fake premise. I'm about to rain on another side of that is that you don't want you want us to know that these guys are the bad guys, but who does Flag mourn? He doesn't mourn his guy that he must have gone on missions with before and mm-hmm. his brother in arms. He mourns the guy that he's been calling a criminal the entire time and who killed his entire family. Um, and so like the character the character development's uneven and all sorts of stuff and also I hated the fact um, I hated the fact that they even brought in the brother uh, of Enchantress. Like, yep. I feel like you didn't give that villain a chance to stand on their own because she's creepy as all get out at the very beginning of the movie. She's super creepy. And then she turns into a MacGuffin and she stands there with her hands held high and does the Macarena. And yeah, pretty much the whole time that like we see here once she transfer- transforms and gets her heart is literally she's doing the Macarena in front of a strobe light is what it looks like. And the whole time I'm sitting there going like, is that's the bad guy. Like that's what everyone's afraid of. Like, but whenever it shows her, like in the in the presidential type briefing, yeah. where she's like, 
that creepy hand comes up and then pff, turns into the Enchantress. Yeah, that's creepy as balls. The whole time I'm sitting there going like, oh, this could be a bad Mama Gemma. But no, her brother does all the dirty work. And he doesn't do any really dirty work. Like, he, he reminds me so much of the um, the weapon from the first Thor movie. To, yeah, yeah. To, the, it, the Destroyer. destroyer. Yeah, yeah, the Destroyer comes in and he just had Like, that's all I got. Big, tall, hulking dude who has powerful laser stuff. Yep, who uh, then gets owned when... The main character shows up, but pre-main character, nothing can touch it. Think about it. He destroyed so many helicopters and tanks and soldiers. But then, as soon as our four or five people show up, three of which have no powers, he gets owned. It's just like, uh, it's just, yeah, blech. And, and talking about, yeah, these are the baddest people on the planet. Like, sorry, Superman, without his restraint, just flies through every single one of these people, except for maybe Diablo... And maybe Diablo. Maybe, and maybe not Killer Croc. Like, that's about it. Maybe not. Oh, poor Killer Croc. No character development whatsoever. We know nothing about him. Does have the best line in the entire film, though. If you say it's because he says I'm beautiful. Yes. <sighs> I hated the best, it. The best moment. Like, literally, like, because it had become such a drudge at that moment. Maybe it's because in comparison, it was such a drudge up to that moment and everything's going so slow and you're looking at any point of levity and kind of things being A-OK. And then all of a sudden, Killer Croc comes, I'm beautiful, and flashes that stupid smile and flips his hood up. Uh, you're like, oh, See, okay. Which I'm- I disagree because then you, you have Harley Quinn saying, like, we're all, like, beautiful on the inside but ugly on the outside. Oh, except Killer Croc. He's ugly on the outside, too. No, I'm not. I'm beautiful. Yeah, you are. It was just like a total, like it was like bad editing. The way it was edited, it was like a quick, because what they did was they set her up to say that, him to say I'm beautiful, and then her to go right back as if like, oh yeah, you totally are, but not addressing the fact that she had just said, no, he's just ugly on the outside. Yeah, it was weird editing, but I don't feel like that that's Killer Croc's fault. Like I feel like the line, <sighs> the line was delivered perfectly. The line was delivered perfectly. It just literally, the the performances were okay. It was literally, most of the stuff was post-production that just sucked. Editing sucked. All the stuff that came down from the water, from the pop, um, you know, from from Warner Brothers and, and DC, it just sucked the life out of a movie. Well, and Jared Leto even said in an interview, like, dude, straight up, just he they are they were asked, so like, what got cut, like, you know, from the movie, and his response was, what didn't get cut? Yeah. So that his entire him. performance, they say, got cut. They said if his performance had stayed, even half of it had been in a rated R film. Right. Which okay. That's fine. Like, look at what Deadpool did. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Different universe. It's self-aware. It's whatever. But give me that. Like, maybe the problem with Batman versus Superman was the fact that like they were they went super dark, but they were too afraid to go like that dark. Yeah. But then, Suicide Squad literally have the word suicide in the title, and were afraid to really get down and dark into like give like. Think about all the shows of the world, the Punishers in the Daredevil series that we love, the the Frank Underwoods in the House of Cards that are despicable, but we find ourselves rooting for. Like, like give me that type of Suicide Squad where these are like these are bad, murderous criminals, but there's something like engaging and and charismatic about them that makes you just kind of want to watch their story. I didn't get that. I just didn't get that from this movie, and it just bummed me out because it had so much. What I felt like was like valid potential. Don't get me wrong; not a big fan of Jared Leto's Joker. Hated it. And I, but but, and at first I was like, "Well, it's because this movie set him up as like a an actual gangster. Like they set him up as a like he's a gangster with chains and gold, a grill and tattoos and a cane." But 
then I realized, you know, though I love the Heath Ledger Joker, rest in peace, the the thing that bothered me the most was maybe it wasn't all Jared Leto's fault. Maybe like you're talking about like the post-production, the poor editing, uh, the bad movie-making choices, maybe that is what made this movie suck so bad. Yeah, I, here's, here's I think, DC's main problem, and I just now thought of narrowing it down, is the fact that they want to make this dark, gritty universe, and that's perfectly fine because you want to be the antithesis to Marvel movies. But the problem is this, you sacrifice what characters truly are to make it gritty. Like, for instance, Man of Steel, grittiest part of the entire film is what? Darkest part he of the entire snaps, film. He snaps, sods, snap. Yes. You literally made the one character in the DC universe that doesn't kill people, regardless. The beacon of hope and light and truth in the DC universe. And what do you have him do? Just commit stone-cold murder. Yeah, commit stone-cold murder. And then go Darth a Darth Vader no type of thing to make it everything everything yeah. smooth over. Oh no, there's regret. Yeah. And then Batman. Batman's supposed to be above criminals and what do you have him doing Batman versus Superman? You have him branding people. Um True. You have him branding people and then shooting guns. And throwing grenades in rooms with people and watching them go boom. Yeah. Like you literally sacrifice what you're sacrificing what is the essence of characters. Yeah. To make make the gritty part, and that's what happens in Suicide Squad. I feel like that's what happens with Joker. Oh, you want to make someone that that's relatable to younger generation and make him seem like he's you know a gangster and all this other stuff, you know. And then they threw in here's what's even like the crap, the pickle on the crap sandwich that is that entire. All right, let's make Joker a gangster. Who do they come in to play? Play as the uh, the black thug that has to pay play. Uh, like homage, to yeah. yeah, that common. bring in common. Yeah. Who literally has played every single black thug that is slightly well spoken character for like the last ten years. Smoking Aces, he played that character, yep. except he played the the bodyguard. Like he plays that character all the time, and I'm like, could you be any more stereotypical in the way you want to handle him as as this? Oh, totally, totally. Uh, and what 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 frustrated, what frustrated me the most about that scene, I believe, is the fact that. It was just a bad scene. Like, it was just... Like, you don't get Joker's motivation at all. And you could have... And then whenever you, it's over and you realize, oh, what he's trying to show is, like, how much he cares for Harley. But then, like, you realize, well, you could have done... Like, why didn't you call me? Like, I could have helped you so many ways. Like, that's what frustrates me the most about some of these movies. You're like, mm. literally a phone call and I could have fixed this for you. Because, like, yeah, you have, like... Joker setting Common up to be in a bad position, but then Common's characters trying to be like, "No, we're cool." It's just show, it's not even showing that Joker's like crazy. It's just Joker's a dick. Yeah, and what what's really crazy about that is also I'm totally distracted in that that scene from Harley Quinn taking I can't remember what she was holding at the time, but acting like she's shooting people, like she's having a conniption fit inside of a, a bird cage. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a like a rope hanging down yeah, or something. She's acting, I'm like, Wait, and and what's what's what I keep coming back to is so much. And going back to that scene when they're at the bar, you you just look at it and you realize like half of what was in the trailers weren't was not in this mm-hmm. scene at the bar. Like the whole scene where Deadshot's like, "What am I? Twelve whiskey? Come on!" And then Diablo, that scene of like water, good idea, honey. Like those are good scenes about showing like them kind of coming together. Yeah. And I even read a thing that said there was a cut scene that they that's part of the post production thing that they changed was the fact that they were going to have the Joker show up, tell Harley to come with him, and Harley choose to stay with the group to sort of show Harley for once in her life making a decision, or once in her relationship with Joker making a decision for herself to stay with 
the Suicide Squad and leave the Joker and ignore him. And that's when he's like apparently is supposed to throw a grenade. And it's where in the trailers we see his face burn. None of that happens in the movie. So it, it, that's why I come back to I don't want to blame this movie for everything because I feel like sometimes studios can come in and totally like jack with the director's vision. But it sounded like we had a movie and then months before the movie comes out, they come in and change the movie. Yeah. And and that's what's frustrating because it's like makes me want to see the director's cut because what if I like that movie way better? So you're telling me that something that involves Zack Snyder deserves a director's cut for it to actually be good? You're lying. You're absolutely. I see what you're saying. You're absolutely. But lying have you seen to... Watchmen's director's cut? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's exactly what I'm pointing out, though, because I w- I didn't watch the original version of of Batman vs Superman either. I watched the uh-huh. I watched the director's cut at first. Did not know that. Okay. Um. And so that movie was a lot better. Uh. That movie was a lot better. Uh. Than what people what I heard and they said everyone I've said that's watched both says watch the director's cut don't even bother with the original interesting and so I've watched it and I've and I liked Watchmen as it was because I was a fan of the graphic novel yeah but the director's cut's even better yep I agree a uh, lot okay well that's fair um and you know I don't want really to spend all of our time just ranting about the Suicide Squad because I think we're pretty we pretty much clear. have we've spent like twenty it, minutes over it ah uh, whatever it's worth it though because it's like Okay, so I come back to the fact that DC's animated movies are so good. Like, there's so many, like, in, in like Doom and Under the Red Hood and Year One and uh, Public Enemies uh, and Gotham Knight. Like, like these are like DC animated movies that are just they're just good. There's no other way. They're like I can watch those movies at any time and just enjoy them. And then I start looking at like their films that they've put out and I realized yeah Man of Steel is pretty fun I like a lot of it but not all of it and uh, yeah Batman vs Superman like we're talking about having to watch the director's cut to even like it we're talking about hoping that the Suicide Squad will be have a good director's cut to like it and it makes me sad because it's like how can you have guys literally draw a story and it'd be awesome and then sink a quarter of a billion dollars into a movie and it'd just be meh and literally have some of the the greatest acting talent that's come out in the last you know you're having young stars you're having people who have won Oscars or been nominated for Oscars like the last out of the last seven years like Jared Leto's won an Oscar Margot Robbie was, was nominated for an Oscar like um, you have people that should you know that are in contention all the time and then you just can't pull it together uh, by the way um, we're going to switch back to the, the anime movies but I was going to say something here's what one of the biggest things I have with Suicide Squad is it seemed like all the time, like Jared Leto and Harley Quinn and everyone else had to basically, like, I feel like they screamed at me all the time, like, I'm crazy, I'm psychotic, look at me, look at me be psychotic and crazy. Mm-hmm. And that was the great thing, like, uh, and I, I hate to be compare Leto's Joker to Heath Ledger's Joker, that was the great thing about that universe, was that you didn't, it was so, and of course it's Christopher Nolan directed and I get it, and then he wrote and everything. Nolan! Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I'm going to shout out. Hopefully he'll appear. Yeah. You know, like Shazam, like he right, turned into Christopher yeah. Nolan. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wish I could do a British accent. I would just be him right now. Uh, so does that make me Jonathan Nolan? Does that make me the brother? Yeah, but see, you're the better writer. So that's that's a win. Okay, fair enough. Um, oh, if my friend Nicholas could be here, he would go just off on, on how much he loves uh, Christopher Nolan and that Joker. Because like, speaking to your point, like that Joker was just the Joker. We felt comfortable and we didn't feel like he was overacting. We just felt like... In this world, the, and the same with the Batman. Though, think about it. Remember in the the Dark Knight Rises when 
Catwoman tries to use a gun and he hits the gun out of her hand and he's like, no guns. Well, that's not fun. And then they fight and like it shows like he stands above something, though yep. he may be a vigilante. Well, and the great thing was this, though, is that like literally the antithesis to what Suicide Squad is like, I'm psychotic, I'm crazy all the time, was, do you remember the scene uh, where someone calls Joker crazy? Yeah. Exactly. And he goes, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Like he, and, and and then he's trying to talk at one point in the movie, and then they call him a freak, and he's like, he just stops what he's saying to then go to something else because he's like, not even going to acknowledge the, like what they're saying. Like he knows he's not crazy. He actually, I mean, think about the whole beginning of it when he was like, well, his uh, his uh, his whole angle is that I'm the sanest person in the room. I'm ahead of the curve. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so you know, what doesn't kill you only makes you stranger. Like he just throws out what could be the status quo because. To him, it's like there there is no right or wrong. And I feel like out of that premise, though, you get a Joker that could go a thousand different directions. But when you go the way they decided to take Jared Leto's version of the Joker and say he's going to be a mob boss who's crazy, you very much limit that character uh, to not be able to be as versatile as he was. Yeah, Joker's played the crime boss before, but also he's played the people who wrecked the crime, the crime syndicates. You yep. know what I mean? And yep, played yep. outside of that rule. Anyway, so let's let's get back to the Justice League anime, not Justice League, but the animated stuff. Uh, and even going back, like to your point, going way back, Mask of the Phantasm and Sub Zero, like from the Batman animated series stuff, is wonderful. Like it's it's some of the best things. And Kevin Conroy kills it as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like he is, I would say you would have to put him as one of the top two Batman because he does Bruce Wayne and he does Batman so well. Yeah. And I know it's the voice, but it's the voice. But like, there's something about the fact that that is Batman. Like you can visualize. A Batman, and that's the voice you hear. Like that just says something to his acting prowess. It's just like people go back to the animated Joker, uh, being Mark Hamill. There's people who literally say like, you've got you've got Jared Leto and his Joker's the psychopath, and you've got Heath Ledger's and his is the anarchist, and you've got Jack Nicholson's and his is the gangster. But then you show a picture of Mark Hamill, and like that's the Joker, yeah. because he literally. He he doesn't embody so much a visual representation because he's been drawn so many different ways. But what he embodies is just like the cackle, the laugh, the the fury, um, the anger, the 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 jokes. And I, I mean, the animated movies are so interesting. I watched Return of the Joker uh, just this weekend, and it's just such a good like. Yeah, it's in the future, you know, and it's the Batman Beyond world. But you see like that Joker just like oh just permeate like yeah. th- through the screen and it's just it's so, so well done so like yeah. Mark Hamill's so good at what he does well in, in Dark Knight Returns uh, that that version of the Joker is wonderful where literally Joker snaps his own neck just to frame Batman as a murderer again uh, like it's, it's a, like they've done everything so well and they've taken comics beloved comics and turned them into like masterpieces that comic lovers like and they're also able to satiate people who just randomly come into it mm-hmm. um, and want to watch a Batman movie and they choose that movie. Like, they don't have to know anything about the comics and still be, like, all blown away. Oh, totally. Um, totally, totally. But Marvel animated films, not so much. We're not <laughs> going to spend a whole lot of time on them. Still, my, one of my favorite memories with you is uh, the Ultimate Avengers uh, 2 where they do the The, the, the gag reel. reel. Yeah, the yeah. gag reel. It's like, hey, uh, Tony's House of Ribs and it's Tony Stark talking... Uh, and <laughs> Asgardian meat. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, made out of uh, dirt and human hair. 
I just, yeah, very much so remember that with the dudes in space and, like, the Kree or whatever attack. Yeah, incoming. Incoming. And he's like, thanks a lot, jerk. And he's, like, floating off in space. Like, those are, those are growing up together watching weird random things late at night and just cracking up for, like, an hour. We rewound that probably ten times oh, that I'm night sure and watched it each time. Because that was probably eight years ago and we yep. still remember it so uh, vividly. By the way, talking about our, uh, our our conversation about movies that make you, make you an adult, uh, we watched Departed together for the first time. Yes. And my favorite story from that, spoiler alert for, for The Departed, by the way, if you haven't seen it, you need to go see Gosh. it. Scorsese is amazing. Um, is when Leonardo DiCaprio has Matt Damon and you have that one frame that it stays down the entire elevator ride and the elevator doors open and the frame is just fur- just a slot further back. Mm-hmm. And right when they open up, you go, something's about to happen! And then that's when Leonardo DiCaprio's character gets capped. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and so, <laughs> do you hand. remember that? Cause I do. Because it's like, the first time we'd ever seen it, and you just screamed it. Like, you go, something's about to happen! And just you pop. Because <laughs> like, you see it, there's just a quick, like, shift. Yeah, it's and, a little further out. And, and it's like, oh, shit. And, and then, boom! And you just and you're like yeah uh, no no and then all the, and then the movie just takes for the next like ten minutes you're just like having a heart attack <laughs> watching all the things happen. Seriously, the- Mark Wahlberg's introduction is still wonderful, and that that, that very end where he's been gone for like a third of the movie at this oh, point, yeah, yeah. and then just uh, just coming in and he and like what's so so great is that he's in the hairnet, he's got the gloves, he's got the the like covers on his shoes, yeah. yeah. Like that is that is what a cop would do if he was going to kill someone. Yep, he is, comes in, has it all planned out. He's just waiting for him to come in. Boom, done. Takes it all off, leaves. Boom, yep. no, nothing ever happened. You yep. can't prove that he was there. Ah, so good. That's so a good. great movie. It is. Of course, he does good stuff. He does all the time. Uh, I hate also. I hate though that a lot of the a lot of this generation uh, below us, their introduction, of course, is Obi Wolf of Wall Street. It's a great film, but it's not as best. It's nowhere near as best. No, no, I agree. It uh, is kind of funny. Uh, speaking of movies uh, that everyone needs to go see, what we're hoping is going to be that is Rogue One. And, uh, mm. man, trailer, new trailer came out. It dropped. International trailer. I haven't seen it, but I saw it. The headline is that they will have Death Troopers. Uh, I haven't seen the international trailer yet, but I'm kind of excited for that. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's going to be pretty epic. Um, and it actually dropped a lot of, like, not spoil like not spoilers, but something unique about the trailer was it, it, gives, a, it gives something away to the plot. That is like kind of huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in that one of the one of the main characters, uh, the dude in the white getup, I forget his name. Um, but uh, he he's like possibly helping the rebellion, and so it's going to be really interesting to see if that's really how it plays out. Because it looks as though he's the one who possibly designed the Death Star, but didn't want it used the way it's being used, and so he's trying to help the rebellion figure out a way to destroy it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um... This it scares me because it's the first movie, it's the first Star Wars movie after Episode Seven. Uh, it's the first solo Star Wars film, mm-hmm. um, and it's a different tone than a Star Wars film has taken. And so, like, it's got a lot, a lot more going for. It. Also, it's probably the first time to where it ha- where Star Wars had an ensemble cast that's bigger than three. I mean, main yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm really excited. It does have the best one line trailer tag I've ever seen, though. Is that Oh, isn't this a rebellion? I rebel. Oh, uh, yeah. It's still probably one of the better trailer scenes um, because when she, the first time she said it, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I, yeah. Uh, 
and I thought it was just really good. I, I, I'm, I, I like Felicity Jones a whole lot, and, and I do agree, uh, and it's it's been uh, Mendelssohn is the guy, he's the director of Orson Krennic. That's the dude who is in the white getup, and don't the look of this movie is really kind of clean and pristine, and it feels sort of like Empire mm-hmm. to me a little bit, um, and, 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 and A New Hope as well. But what's interesting about it is I like what they've done. It's literally titled Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And so it sort of frees itself up from trying to be like The Force Awakens and having like a really like a like a overtone or a, like a plot device in the title yeah. um, like all the other movies have had. This is like, no, this is just a Star Wars story. And dare I say, just watching the trailers that I've seen, I think I'm more excited for it than I was The Force Awakens. Uh, yeah, Force Awakens had in its back pocket the fact that the last Star Wars film we'd seen on screen was horrible. Like, the last taste we had of Star Wars on Avengers screen. Revenge of the Sith? Oh, well, when I say that, the prequels. Because we had a great experience we did have Revenge it. of the Sith. We did. Uh, but just the prequels in general, it just left a, a really poor taste. Like, the reason why I've gone back and watched prequels, we both have, mm-hmm. and the reason why the Revenge of the Sith is so good is not because it's actually good, it's because it's good comparatively to Episode 2 and parts of Episode 1. You better say parts. Yes, I said parts just for you. Thank you. And you know what? I've rethought my position. I will not take your position to where Episode 1 is is good-ish. I will say that it is a lot tolerable than what my early 20s self would believe. Because I loved it when I was a teenager. Hated it when I was like 18, 19, and 20. And then, now that I've started, I've tried to go back and watch it and look at some things a little bit different. A little different view. Lightening up. I'll take it. I'm glad to hear it, because I've liked it since. Um, But the... The fact that, yeah, I do agree that Rogue it's taking a different tone, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but Rogue One, I think, has every bit of potential to be, it may not make a billion dollars like The Force Awakens, but I think what it'll do is it'll solidify the fact that you can make these, if you make them good and make them well, you can make these spin-off, these one-off Star Wars movies, you can mm-hmm. you can give us the Han Solo flick and we'll watch it. Not because we're just diehards of Star Wars, but, but make us a good movie. Yeah, here's what I want to happen. Eventually, if Disney's going to do this and, and, and keep the Star Wars universe going and just pumping out movies, here's what I want to happen. I want uh, Disney to open up the floodgates to an independent filmmaker and just say, okay, uh, give us a script about someone living a normal life inside the Star Wars galaxy and make it a character-driven thing, and we'll we'll put it out. Not to a lot of fanfare. I would literally want to wake up and go, new Star Wars movie dropped, uh, trailer launched last month, and now we've got the film. Uh, oh, that would and be, I want it to be I want it to epic. be like a spice freighter, like a spice pilot or something like that, though, that uh, that would be cool to me. Uh, also, I want to see a Top Gun, uh, a Top Gun style, um, like, flight ace type of movie. Because, like, when I think of Rogue One, and when I think of Rogue Squadron, like, I'm old school Star Wars. I think of, I think of, like, the X-Wings. And, like, yeah, yeah. I want that. I want I want something like that. I want Wedge and Tilly's taking over, like, what would be Rogue Squadron if we were in the old expanded universe. And, oh, and, and, and I think that they can do that. I mean, as long as they don't, like, flood us with movies. Yeah. Because then it'll be a little bit like, come on, stop, you're just trying to make money. But like if if they'll just make quality films, like we, we told, I know you and I at least will throw our money at them. Yeah, and I'm just glad I'm not giving it to George Lucas anymore. Um, we got this. T- we figured it up one day. Do you remember that when we sit down and put the math to it and figured out how much we had? Me and you had both invested into gave it, giving George Lucas. I don't remember the dollar amount. I do remember the, us listing like our shirts and our posters and our movies and our yep. video games and our books and. And then we listed, I think, our hours at minimum wage. 
Oh, yeah, like, how much we, like, estimated we'd watched them all. Yeah. Because we knew we'd watch them all multiple times, and we started realizing, holy cow, we have yeah. just, like, shut up and take my money. And then not counting, like, I don't think, might not count, like, the gifts that Dad had bought me and you. Like, Dad had bought me all the Rogue Squadron games, and, like, had bought a GameCube specifically. Dude, so I, I had an Episode 1 mouse pad from your dad that he'd given me, like, for probably in like 2001 and that thing you until you could barely see like the nabu fighter on yeah. it uh like i still had it and use well, it i bought a star wars tie i wore it to my sixth grade graduation my senior I remember graduation that tie. my senior graduation my graduation with my associates my graduation with my bachelor's and my graduation with my master's that is uh, saying something yeah holy and so it is stuck back if i ever decide to go get my doctorate uh it'll be <laughs> i love it so much that's awesome uh, kept, kept it going and but of course, I don't feel much better. I feel like giving Disney my money. Uh, but you know, it, but the fact that like that that they've, I can handle Disney because I feel like they've put Star Wars kind of to the side and said, look, we're not just gonna incorporate it into the big Disney thing because we realize it's something special. Yeah. Because the Force Awakens, they hired J.J. Abrams and J.J. Abrams, he turned down the job like seventeen times until they're like, no, we're gonna let you make the movie you want to make. Yeah, and that's when he. Got, so if they'll just keep doing that, I mean, I'll keep buying it. I really want Spielberg to direct a Star Wars film. He never will because he's too good friends with George. But I want to see Spielberg direct uh, a Star Wars film. I would just mess myself. Yeah, I, I just I want to see it. Uh, I, I want to see it. <sighs> It'd be so good. Uh, so good. Did he do Minority Report? Yes. Uh, now, can you imagine? Watched, never watched it. You've never seen Minority Report? Never oh, bro. It. For one, yeah, I wish you would because this conversation would have a much better taste because the storyline of Minority Report could literally almost fit in a Star Wars world. Really? And it would be really cool to like, like that's what popped in my head. Like give me that movie kind of, you're talking about just a guy. Like give me a guy who's just like uh, uh, part of the Republic Guard and he's like an investigator. Show me that movie. Yeah. And, and just like looking at some conspiracy or something. I would totally pay to see that movie done um, by Spielberg. Two things I want to I want to say real quick, and they just popped in my head, and I'll forget them. First of all, all right, uh, they've got the scene in the trailer where the Star Destroyer is above. It's on a desert planet, and it's got the red fortress uh, sticking up. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, no, no. There, there's a scene to where uh, there's one, and it really, it's not Jabba's Palace, but it's it kind of alludes to Jabba's Palace. And, you know, there's lots of stuff like that in Star Wars story, like, oh, this kind of looks like this. Mm-hmm. So the question I have to ask is this. Do you think that that is just literally, I know, it's, I know it's filmmakers saying, oh, yeah, look at us. We're in the Star Wars universe. I'm calling back to this earlier Star Wars moment that you loved. But wouldn't it be cool if it was more along the lines if they somehow worked that in to where this is just the aesthetic in this galaxy? Yeah, you know what I mean. I I feel like I can see that. I feel like it's cheesy to call it back all the time, but also if I can get behind the thing, this is an aesthetic in this galaxy. Yeah, because the Republic's been around for thousands of years, so the influence is spread out. And so you know the architectural styles will be similar. Yep. And just yep. mixed with native populations. I would be cool with that. I can buy that. I mean, like, you know, I've traveled quite a bit. And, you know, you go to you go to certain cities and countries and whatever. And you'll see sort of like that, that old flavor of architecture. But all of a sudden you see a building that's like 500 years next to a building that's like 100 years old or 20 years old. You just, like, there's differences. But there's an incorporation of the culture and of the architecture. And, yeah, I could totally get behind that. Because at the end of the day, we see, what, a lot of desert planets, a lot of, like, foresty planets, a lot of rainforesty yep. planets. So it would make sense that, yeah, a lot of it would look like, because what else are you going to, like, develop in this world? Because so far, uh, all the worlds that we show up on, guess what? Everyone can breathe on. 
<laughs> like, yep. you know, Obi-Wan lands on Mustafar, you can breathe on it. You land on Hoth, you can breathe on it. Don't know how, but you can breathe on it. So, like, I just go back to it. I buy that more. It's just the aesthetic of the world, for sure. Um, crappiest part of the trailer. The freaking blind guy. I'm totally down. Maybe because I'm just a sucker for something that looks cool. And like, the fact that a blind guy's walking out just being like, yeah, do your best, Mr. Stormtroopers. And he just owns them all like right in front of Jin, the main character, uh, is pretty epic. But I'm a little also nervous. Like, So I'm assuming he's Force-sensitive, which is cool. I'm happy about. But also, like, where did he receive his training? The dude's like 40 years old. So was he trained? Was he always blind? How like how does he play into it? There's a part in the end of the scene where or end of the yeah the trailer where like she's like will you join me? She's clearly about to go do something heroic and everyone stands up and you see him like oh we're standing is that what's happening are we standing and he stands up and I'm kind of just like I'm a little nervous what they'll do with his character. I'm totally on board. I, I like him quite a bit. I'm a little nervous. If I'm being totally honest, the thing I actually like the least is not a huge 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 um. Force Whitaker fan, and I'm a little nervous about his character because every time he talks, it's like this broken up, dramatic. He's basically like the black James T. Curry. <clears throat> That's William Shatner, just period. It's in whatever he has. Oh, uh, true. Okay, uh, he's the black William Shatner. All right. Well, let's drama. Go. I'm over here now. Do you hear? Me? Sorry. Uh, Please uh, continue for the uh, drama uh, of. The podcast. Uh, Hate it. Uh, I think that's much more true. I think that might be a cut thing, actually. Uh, Ricka Ricka. Anyways. Maybe. Um, the thing, I, two things I'm, I'm most nervous about, and I'll tell you the thing I hate. Well, actually, one thing I'm most nervous about, and then I'll tell you the thing I hate. This is going to be the first Star Wars film that we've had that will be uh, since, uh, well, Force Awakens was the first one, but this will be the first one that will connect to the prequels. I have to acknowledge prequels. The only acknowledgement of Force Awakens was we could go back to Clone Troopers. No, 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 this is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only acknowledgement, right? Okay. And so how how does how does this new branch and and I know there's a listener out there who's like Star Wars Rebels talks about it all the time. Like, well, I don't watch Star Wars Rebels. Okay, I just don't have time to. There's a good chance I did. Uh, I've heard it's good. It's good. It's I've really heard, good. I've heard it's good. Uh, but this will be the first film that'll that'll connect it. And I'm just wondering like, how they're going to treat it. Uh, like for instance, I totally see the blind guy being a Padawan with his master being killed, and he was about to be received be a Jedi Knight, and mm-hmm. the, I, I would be down with that. Like if the guy's in his mid thirties or like early forties, and he was about to become a, well, and you could easily do that with a line of dialogue, yeah. like literally a line of dialogue, like or so. How do you or or heavily allude to it. or or heavily allude, but like literally them sitting beside each other, and then just or yeah, or talking to Forrester Whitaker, and then he says like, oh yeah. Blind guy over there. Wait, hang on. I'm sure he has a name. Um, Chirrut Imwe. You can say, yeah, Chirrut was close to being a Jedi Knight, but the Empire, you know, uh, like blinded him in a firefight, and, and he escaped and sought refuge here. Boom. We we already know that he was Force trained, but now yeah. he's blind, so he has to totally rely on the Force. Thing I hated most about the trailer. Go. Cool. Darth Vader. Why? I hated the fact that they chose to reveal... Like, we all knew he was going to be in the movie. It got out. But the fact they chose to reveal it, like, would just... It's literally... It's a second. It's literally one Mississippi is on screen that yeah, he's gone. Like the and it, and it's after the... Yeah, it's after... Like, the trailer's about to close. Like, it's got yeah. to the end of it. And then, oh, boom. Like, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I hated it. Like it was the it was the only misstep in the entire trailer. The rest really? of the trailer is beautiful and it's wonderful. I liked it. If they could have literally had like I think I don't know if the scenes in the movie. If it's not, they should put it in the movie. But the guy who's in all white, whose name you told me before, and I can't remember because I'm trying to stay as much away from it as I can. That's fine. Um, Director Orson. Yeah, um, that guy. If it had literally been like playing off the classic Darth Vader line of what is. What is you know thy bidding, my master, mm-hmm. or what is what is your bidding, Lord Vader, or something like that? Yeah. I would rather have done it like that than just than sh- show his head. just flash up and then the back of your head is ridiculous. Yeah, that's yeah. It especially was in, in Empire Strikes Back. That's literally a scene that still haunts me. Is when the uh, like, yeah, and it, showed, head it, it literally in the in the black pokeball of Darth Vader yeah, coming exactly. open or whatever. Uh, it literally looks like a tube of toothpaste <laughs> squeezed out the top. That's the very that top part of it. Um, uh, fair, fair. Ugh. Well, I mean, I can understand you not liking that. I kind of liked it just because it's like a little like like you watch the trailer, you love it, you think it's over, and then all of a sudden there's like ooh. Um, there's just like a little something extra. Like, yeah, we know Darth Vader's going to be in it. We've known that. But it's cool to see him. You just you just see him. And that's exciting. See, I, I just don't. No, 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 no. Uh, that's fine. Agree to disagree. But, I just can't but get, I'm right. I can't get behind it. Uh, Darth Vader was always the greatest to when he was the veiled threat. Meaning the fact that he Darth Vader is coming, but he's not there. And I feel like that would have been a better way to introduce him. Is I would have literally been, but a- in a trailer you can't like, I, in in the context of a trailer I understand why you're not going to try to like give away a plot device or make a really ooh scene, just make a quick like there he is for all the fans that are just like okay we're acknowledge it we're enjoying it. It doesn't take away from the trailer. I think it's like the trailer is the trailer, and then we get guess what? In probably another month or two we'll get another trailer with an extra fifteen seconds, and maybe in that trailer we'll see a, a little just, Darth Vader action. I just I don't like it. I do not like it. Literally show him walking down a ramp. Show him in the course of a trailer. It's literally like they got him with the trailer. Like oh crap, we forgot to put Darth in. That's literally what the trailer looks like. And then they say, well, it's too late. We've got the music queued up and everything else. This thing drops tomorrow. The clip where he's turning around. Put that at the end, okay? <laughs> fair, fair, but, but I, feel like I think it works. I think it works, though. And I don't think anything is an afterthought with these people. I just, But that's the way it feels like. It's literally like the guy like, did you remember to put your footnote page on your essay? Oh, crap, no. And then literally him like putting one together that's just completely half-assed. Nah, that's fair. Okay. I can see that, but it gives me hope. That, okay, like, we know it's going, we know the story itself is going somewhere. We know that Darth Vader's going to be involved. Give me a little taste right now. Give me, in a month, who knows? They might have a whole lot of like him walking up or down a ramp or being knelt to or maybe reaching out like with the force or maybe just we see him just pull up his lightsaber and literally I would pass out from I would I would have been okay with I would have been okay with James Earl Jones appearing on screen and go hey guys I'm gonna be Darth Vader in this movie peace out <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but he's blind like in the same line <laughs> beside the Asian guy <laughs> they're both in Jedi robes <laughs> That's who I don't get Jedi it. Master was. <laughs> That's who it was. I don't get it either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, all right. On that pleasant note of uh, on that pleasant note of the Sandlot secretly being in the Star Wars universe, we're going to call it good, guys. We totally meant to make this one about thirty minutes long, and we've run fifteen minutes over. We love each and every one of you. Jesus loves each and every one of For you. For sure. Uh, 
and we hope that you hated Suicide Squad as much as we did. If you disagree with us, uh, put it down in the comments, or probably most of you that are listening to this know who we are. You can text us. Uh, <laughs> Very true, but unless you have good things to say, I'll ignore you. Yeah. Uh, remember, Jesus only says to lift up, encourage. Yeah, I'm, something in something in the Bible says yeah. that, I'm sure. Yep. And also rebuke. <laughs> <laughs> but you better not be rebuking. <laughs> uh, anyways, I had a really cheesy joke that uh, was, about, was about Hadouken. Don't, uh, don't make it. Uh, I was going to make a Street Fighter reference. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> we need to wind this thing down. We don't have a good sign-off, do we? No. We'll, we'll figure that one out. Yeah. No worries. The sign-off is literally what's about to come next. It's just it cutting.